welcome to Write Sweats, the weekly writing podcast that nobody asked for. I'm Jesse Gray, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosties with the co-hosties, Jennifer and Leah. Hi there. Hi, guys. So it's the second week of NaNo. I think we're all feeling the pressure to make that word count, which is, as of today, somewhere around the 20,000 range. I think tomorrow we hit 20,000. Personally, I'm only at about 14,000. 512 exactly, if I had to guess. Um, and I'm really kind of finding the, uh, hard to find the motivation to write a little bit. Uh, and I'm finding it easier, I guess, to write whatever I want to write. So those constructions have, those constrictions have kind of gone away, but I'm finding it harder to want to write now that it's become a little less constricted and a little less uh, difficult. What are you guys doing? How are you guys doing? Jen? Well, um, I'm about 19,000 words in, which is pretty close to the mark. I didn't write anything yesterday or today, but that's okay. I, you know, I got ahead a little bit there so I can take it easy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's been going really well, mostly thanks to write-ins. And what about you, Leah? So I'm sitting at, I just wrote down my word count, so I'm accurate, 5,485. I am way, way, way behind. But my commitment has been to, even if I'm not going to get anywhere near the 50,000 in the month, I'm going to sit down and write a little bit every day. It may not turn into anything. It may not be any kind of cohesive story. But if I sit down and do it, it's so much different than what I've let myself do throughout the rest of the year, truly. So Say, Jesse, what do you mean by the the constrictions are off? What what were you freed of? Well, before I was trying to write just a straightforward thriller mystery novel from beginning to end without much planning and just going straight through, which is unrealistic. And that made it kind of difficult to get word count because every word mattered so much in sort of the tenuous relationship of the plot and whatever little bit of momentum I I had gotten going. But now I sort of broke free away from that. I started writing different scenes that may or may not have anything to do with this. I wrote a scene a couple days ago where the protagonist of the story I was writing found a lame book, and I wrote the introduction to that book and then the first chapter of that book, which has nothing to do with the main storyline, but it is a little bit easier to write and a little funner to write, or more fun to write, sorry. And then with that, I'm also finding that now I care less about the main story, which makes me care less about the offshoots, but I think it's more, it's less the story and more just like, oh, this is week two. And before with my nano experiences, like I've said before, I've made it three days. So I think that's more the issue is that than it is the, the, the story. Dangerous. But everything you're writing is still the same characters that you had before. Yes. That's pretty cool. Well, the, I mean, there's the same characters that are interacting with these other texts they're finding, but they're not in the text. Still, though, but... it's, that's interesting. I like that idea of just having them interact with something else. Well, a little bit of it is so I can also try to write things that I've been wanting to try to write, and I've never had the time to. Like, there was a scene where, kind of offhand, the, my protagonist said that for the rest of the afternoon, he went and saw a movie and then went home. And then the next day, I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write scenes from that movie in. Because I've been trying Ooh. to see if I could do that. And even if I can't, you know, I wrote it kind of funny. It's like a parody sort of, or a satire sort of, of just like romantic, not romantic comedies, but like those uh, family centric um, stories that you see a lot of, especially like This Is Us and just those oh, sort of yeah. melodramatic, nothing really happens, but they're kind of fun and the actors are good, you know, those sorts of things. And so like, it's okay. it's about, you know, uh, Connie Britton is dating a single dad, you know, it's. 
it's nothing exciting, but it was it was fun to write because I've been watching a lot of those lately because That's I also super cute, though. like them as much as I don't like them. I mean, them. those have been real popular lately, understandably, because I think, I mean, I personally think they're really, really good. Well, Lee and I have been watching, rewatching Nancy Myers movies, too, so it's sort of in that similar vein. Yeah, we watched one where Academy Award winner Meryl Streep is just falling around her kitchen, fawning over Alec Baldwin <laughs> and Steve Martin. And it was just, it baffled me. It's complicated, baby. Yeah, it, it, it baffled me to see this woman that in my own mind is such a, a pillar of independence. And she's just like, oh. Oh, oh, and I'm like, oh, rub me everywhere. She was less funny over Alec Baldwin than she was over her kitchen. Well, that's <laughs> that's probably a little bit true, but yes, I think that's fun. I think that for a lot of people that I've that I've followed and watched, that's the point of Nano, though, mm-hmm. to dip your finger and your toes into all of these experimental pots and really see what you can do. Well, Jen, you were kind of doing that last week when we talked about it. you were writing essays about friendship essentially i know that's sort of essentializing it well that's literally what i did yeah is basically write essays about friendship and then just just to get my mind in the right space and i actually was able to kick off my story thanks to that though it worked out really well and now it's like going really good and really easy for me to keep going which is thankful i'm really thankful for that Mm -hmm. now what is the story how did you get to the story from just essentially essays? well i knew that i wanted to write about Like I wanted to, my character, the lead that I thought of was dealing with a toxic friendship and trying to like get out of that friendship and like become healthy. But I mean, that idea is kind of dull and I wanted it to be more exciting. So I wanted to write essays basically about what they would be dealing with and like learn more basically, basically as research, but also just work through my own priorities with it. So that's why I wrote the essay. So less like a character Bible and more like just getting your thoughts on yeah paper. getting my thoughts on paper but in i guess essay form rather than just like note-taking form so did you end up going to like a, a fantasy genre or did you keep the actual story story grounded in something more real so right now at the moment it's actually i guess one of the very few stories i've ever written that has no fantasy elements at all that might change what? but yeah, at the moment none that's absolutely crazy especially when you think of fantasy and sci-fi as being like oh, we deal with the problems of the real world by putting all these masks on it. Mm-hmm. That's really impressive, truly, that you're able to just jump right into it and be like, no, I want to write something with a real emotional grounding to it. And I have to keep it real to keep mm-hmm. it honest. I mean, I've definitely written fantasy that dealt with like seer. Like my the one I wrote last year was all about mental illness and stuff. And that was really fun to write um, and like explore that stuff. But yeah, this year it's I can't even figure out how to put it in a fantasy setting. <laughs> It, it's hard. I was I was kind of thinking about that with most other movies and books and everything coming out right now is po- the politics of today are so constant and so all the time that it almost feels like you're doing a disservice to hide it behind sci-fi or fantasy. But at the same time, just presenting stories that are like, hey, here's politics, guys, is so hard to swallow. It can get really, really heavy handed fast. Well, and I think I'm more open to hearing people talk about politics and news in that way than people talk about what they call like our generation, whether we're millennials or not. I would rather discuss what our generation should or or isn't or might be or could be doing in a fantasy realm Uh than some sort of rom-com about how we should be getting married. I think dealing with it in that kind of fantastical way is a little more palatable. For something that large. Yeah. Because one of the writing exercises I've been dabbling in is what if 
witchcraft were real and trendy. And I think it's a lot easier to explore some of the really ridiculous things about, you know, our generation culturally through fantasy and through that than to just accept it as face value and make fun of millennials and our avocado toast and or rented apartments or whatever it is <laughs> yeah. that they care about. Well, yeah. So, t- so what you're doing is taking it from a more serious angle, trying to like explore. Opposite. I, at least in when I feel in the mood to write that thing, it's a completely farcical angle. It's, this is so ridiculous and so over the top silly. You know, what is it? It's finding a way to laugh at ourselves or for me to laugh at myself. Okay. But not like in a, well, because the avocado toast thing for me is like, that would be really. <laughs> farcical basically exactly (laughs) tell her a little bit about it i guess because remember you were throwing out ideas to me and they all make make it make a lot more sense okay so the the basic thing wasn't there like an app they were using right so it kind of started with the well one day we discovered that alchemy the idea that you could transmute one object to another with all of the ritual and stuff was real and that that was kind of the start premise and i'm like okay well what happens in the world when you kind of find that out In this world, it would be that it would probably get really big on social media. So I created something called Gallery, which was, you know, your combination, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. How's it spelled? (laughs) G-A-L-L-E-R-I-E. Because, you know, you got to keep it a little bit fancy sounding. Well, there's like apparently studies that show that like apps and things are more successful if they just misspell common words intentionally. So... That's a concept story. Wait, is that because they you remember them, or is that because people are misspelling it anyway? Um, apparently, it just makes it more catchy, and um, like you can remember oh, the okay. word easily, but you can also identify it differently from that word because it's misspelled. Oh, okay, it's not like people don't know how to spell grinder. Yeah, they're just misspelling it, so it goes to it half the time. So then you take you take this kind of fake Instagram app, and then you add to it that the aesthetic of you know American Horror Story Coven and all of these like fun witchy things that we're seeing in pop culture right now Mm -hmm. and but then at the end of it magic is real so it actually does work when you do something and so you know in this story it's something that has really caught on with fashion influencers and the rich it's not something that everybody is doing it's Mm -hmm. very much like a status symbol at the moment I have a couple like character names written down, but there really are no characters in this at the moment. I'm just playing with this speculative fiction of like, what would happen if this happened? So one of the rules is that it requires some sort of sacrifice in a way in order for the magic to work. Usually a, a blood sacrifice to make it seem like, ooh, this is cool. So, you know, pricking fingers and that like sort of vampire stuff. vampire facials. Right. And then, <laughs> but then the, the the thing, and I sat, I sat in the chair staring at Jesse laughing so hard to myself i'm like well the the logical thing is someone is gonna try to see if you can work alchemy with sexual oh my goodness and then (laughs) me just laughing about magic porn and not even writing it down but just laughing at it It, Uh i've been enjoying kind of exploring just this weird what if it's playing around in it exactly because it it's a it's completely making fun of the idea that everything that becomes popular, there's a porn version of it. It's a way of making fun of if you have something that is that used to be kind of looked down upon and wasn't cool is now very cool, heavily monetized and, you know, taken away from the people that that started it. So it's it, it's a fun space to play in. And I don't think I've ever created a space like that where I don't care what characters are doing. I just want to see 
what the world is doing. Now, is it more like fantasy or is it more like uh, magic realism? It's more fantasy. Oh, okay. It's an obvious, it's, I guess, what what would be the difference to you? Well, magical realism, and I know there's a million definitions of what it is and isn't, but with me, it's just sort of one degree or two degrees off of what we know, but those two degrees are essentially defined by magic, Mm -hmm. by something that's unexplainable that people have worked into their daily routines or or their cultures or their customs. Like there's a a short story by Karen Russell about um, a family coming from the East Coast to the West Coast for like the gold rush. And their dad happens to be a centaur. And every other part of the story (laughs) is like normal. It's like pioneers and it sucks. But like the dad's pulling the wagon. (laughs) But but they deal with all the same stuff that they would have to deal with regardless. I love stories like that. Actually love that. That sounds so much fun. Yeah, it's in uh, her short story book. uh, Shoot, St. Lucy's School for Women, for Girls Raised by Wolves. That's what it's called. She wrote Swamplandia a couple years ago, too. Yeah, and she, she, I bought her one with the, oh, I can't even remember the title of the one that I bought. Vampires of Lemon Grove. That's the one that I bought. That is it. I've not read that one. Those ones are really good. I think those are a really good example of American magic realism because there's tons of it from the from south america gabriel yeah, really. garcia marquez uh, etc murakami i think that's a big one in the united states yes. too yeah i know he's japanese but he's the most american writer a japanese writer just be. that he's so famous here anyway. i would definitely at the moment classify it more as fantasy but that's because i think the magic realism that i have read feels so much more nuanced than this is at the moment. Now, yeah. that's not to say if I continue with it and edit it, it uh, won't become more nuanced. Yeah. But in its current state, it's just, it's very blunt and forward uh, and not not even near as flowery as the, the piece that I shared last week. Well, yeah, that's what I was thinking because that, that thing can go very quickly into like a very rich, funny area. Like it could really quickly become Mean Girls, but magic. It could be really quickly become oh, Heather's, man. but magic. Right. Yeah. I would love that so much. Just yeah, there's nothing that. wrong with that. No. Yeah. no that's and, good. That's and great. when you say that, I realize one of the things that I'm that I'm drawing on, be it, you know, intentionally. Well, it wasn't intentionally, but now it might become more intentional, is the craft. Yes. You know, there, there was a little bit last year, the craft was the big Halloween movie that everyone needed to rewatch and re-experience because it was as ridiculous of a movie as we remember but it's also in with the 90s nostalgia that's happening i still wish it was hocus pocus is fine but no the craft is amazing i always think that there's this part in the craft where the four girls take a bus from where are they beverly hills or something like that to just a forest and there's a bus stop in front of the forest i'm like where in los angeles is there a bus (laughs) to the forest i was about to say you grew up in the Pacific Northwest, there's nothing but bus stops at the forest. Yeah, but not in Los Angeles. No, yeah. definitely not in Los Angeles. They went from like Rodeo Drive to like Malibu Canyon or something. Like, <laughs> Well, I guess, okay, so that segues us pretty nicely. Uh-huh. So what are the things that are influencing you right now? Not in the big picture, but in just the immediate. Moment. Some things that have been influencing me lately are, um, okay, so the Sabrina the Teenage Witch, that like remake yeah, the, the new, new one. one. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Yeah, so that one influenced me. Yeah, it was so good. I think, did we talk about that last week too? I'm just going to talk about it every week forever. Um, That's fine. This is going to become the yeah, Sabrina I, podcast yeah. and I'm not even going to complain. <laughs> I liked it so much. I'm like, 
I'm really into it. Like, I'm so surprised that it was so interesting. Otherwise, just I've been like doing a lot of research on what toxic friendship is like. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and credit Huffington Post and uh, BuzzFeed and all of these trashy articles, um, <laughs> all these like listicles that I've been reading because surprisingly, like reading the listicles and all the stupid, um, here's like eight ways to know your friend is toxic. All those dumb articles have really helped me pinpoint what people I guess what kind of bullshit people get told and also what's true, uh, but how it's filtered. I don't know. I just, I think it's really interesting how, how everything is like shared through all those articles. It's just, sometimes it's like, well, kind who of shows up in who's in those gifts? Is, is it like a, yeah. just a straight Regina George? Thing, or... <laughs> Actually there weren't any gifts. So what? Yeah, you need to read better listicles. <laughs> you should do that for one day, you know, when you're, up on your word count. Yeah, Nano Rebel. I wrote listicles. Yeah. <laughs> Why not, you know? They are incredible. You know what? I would be lying if I was saying I did not spend as much time reading those now as I did fan fiction in my teenage years. Well, as I found being unemployed and unemployable, BuzzFeed's always looking for writers. And I've looked into doing BuzzFeed and I'm like, I could do these lists just fine. And the people doing these lists are probably smarter than me. They're out there doing it just fine, you know? I had the best idea for a BuzzFeed list, and then my own theory undid itself. I used to have a extended... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to have an extended theory about all of the Sonic drive-in commercials. Gotta go fast. No. <laughs> that the, that one of the guys in the car... Jen, do you know these ads? Okay, yes, so I do. The one, there's the guy with the She didn't know hair. Pillars of Salt last week, but she knows the Sonic guys. <laughs> I mean, I think so. I the guy, the blonde guy, he's blonde, right? Kind of. And he's kind of like the silly, goofy one. I used to very strongly believe, and I had a lot of evidence to back this up, that he was a figment of the other guy's imagination. Like a Tyler Durden of yes. Sonic? Yes. That there was some real serious fight club nonsense happening in the uh, dri- Sonic drive in. Well, what was the, there was the weird one where he like, admitted to it almost right like he said he was his conscience or something bizarre there was something bizarre like right that. before they stopped right before they disproved your theory there was one that was like he's like i'm only here when you need me or something weird there right? was something weird like that there was one where he the one guy said like oh i have to go home and he said i live here with the sandwiches that's right that's what it was uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> This will have to be for another episode when I reveal the full trove of evidence that I collected well, about and, the Sonic guy. And Jen, it wasn't just her that collected the evidence. Her dad would be like, I recorded a new ad for you. <laughs> like, he was on it. So this was like a <laughs> like family effort DVR. to like figure out uh-huh. the conspiracy. To be fair, most of the time our like family research projects have been to figure out like what tiny town in Poland our family is from. But this is more important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Now it's Sonic commercials. Anyways, Anyways. Jesse was inspiring you this week. Uh, I think kind of fitting it into the collage aspect of it all. I watched that Orson Welles movie, Other Side of the Wind, that came on Netflix this weekend, this last week. That's the new one, right? It's the new old one. Yeah. Well, it's the newest one. Um, he died before it was finished. He had hundreds of hours of unedited stuff. Somebody came in, Netflix paid for it, certainly, and edited the film, even though it's no one can do it. But Orson, half of it is fake paparazzi filming of like a party of this famous director's premiere of his movie and his somebody's cabin. 
And then the other part of the movie is the fake movie inside the movie. And the fake movie is a pastiche parody of the European art films of the 70s. And then all of the other parts are all kind of like jokey, like look how dumb Hollywood is. But then also like look how done Peter Bogdanovich is, who Orson was like beefing with at the same time. But Peter, the Peter Bogdanovich stand-in is played by Peter Bogdanovich. And so there's all of these things going in. But what I'm taking from it more is that it's really like dreamy. Like there's a lot of scenes that don't make any sense, a lot of characters that never show up again. Um, you know it's a 70s movie that wants to do that because at one point there's a bunch of little people that run through a party that just never show up again. Uh, there's like paper mache dummies in every corner of the room. But I've been kind of pulling stuff from that because I like the sort of what is real, what isn't real. Orson Welles talks in the movie sometimes, even though he's not in the movie, but the movie's about him, but it's not about him. Uh, and so I've kind of been dealing with that a little bit because I like the movie and the movie thing too. Mm-hmm. Especially because the, really cool. the movie and the movie is supposed to be bad as well. It's kind mm-hmm. of fun to be able to do that. Well, and the other thing we watched this week, because we haven't uh, quite made time to see the new one, is we watched the original Suspiria. Yes. And that was also kind of one of those, just everything is a little bit odd and bananas and a little bit ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I know some of the, the visuals with that, you just kind of stuck with you. The woman falling into the secret room of barbed wire, uh-huh. which doesn't make any sense. And all the house exploding at the end and all that, and all the music. Yeah, no, that, that really works too. I think that's kind of what I was talking about at the top here about I've let go, let go of some of the constraints that I had. And I think a lot of that is breaking away from what I, being realistic. I think at the beginning of this, I thought, oh, if I describe exactly what it is that they see in a room how they what they do in the room and what they do when they leave the room it's going to be easier to write this right because it's just a to b man and that might be easy but it was exhausting (laughs) and it doesn't really benefit word count no (laughs) uh it does in ways i don't want it to because like a little bit like last week i started going like okay i need my protagonist to go from his apartment to an office on the other side of town and then 2,000 words later, I had gotten to the office. I haven't even dealt with anybody inside of it. I haven't come (laughs) back because I was like, oh, I walked down the sidewalk and then got into the car and the car and then so, you know, breaking up with that's been a little helpful. And I think that dream logic kind of helps that a little bit. That's actually pretty cool. That's a lot of fun. Well, my big influences this week were sort of all of that, that witch nonsense and witch nonsense, witch nonsense. Um, (laughs) And <laughs> and getting back into those things that I that I enjoy watching. Like I said, we watched Suspiria and that was fun, sort of that what happens if all of a sudden you go somewhere and it's witches. Obviously we also watched Sabrina <laughs> and I think the things that surprised me that I liked about Sabrina were some of the more kind of quiet moments. Like yes, it's cool seeing you know, the Sabrina, the teenage witch and the darker twists and all of that. But I think I enjoyed so much what they did with the other characters and seeing what magic meant to them. I thought that Hilda and Zelda and Ambrose were such great additions to the world. Like, yes, Hilda and Zelda were present in Mm -hmm. the, you know, the Melissa Joan Hart version, but they weren't. I think Ambrose always has two, but he's would have only shown up one or two episodes or something. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have 
different lives in the same way that they did in in the new chilling adventures of sabrina they didn't have very distinct impacts on her as a person and i really 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 liked what those impacts look like like can you even i was just thinking about this and he was in every episode can you remember in your mind's eye what harvey looked like in sabrina the teenage witch i can i like i can't see him but like he kind of just is see-through you know he's just he looks (laughs) oh he's a very bland character yeah he's he's the archie in this one (laughs) yeah i mean he was just kind of like a jock basically in the uh at least that's how i picture him now i don't remember if he actually played sports um but whereas in this one he is definitely more of like a gentle he was definitely gentle in the last one but kind of in the way that um you stereotype jocks as being dumb and gentle like yes. the big gentle giant it was definitely very dumb because i remember there were a lot of like really stupid decisions he made in the episodes and i remember also that he was kind of mean to her yeah. when he found out that she was a witch and i thought that was really just in that gross. like selfishness too that's just like why why is there something in your life that doesn't have to do with me which salem is funnier yeah, and he was mad yes. that she was stronger. Which Salem is funnier? Which 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 Salem's got you busting up the original one? Not the original one, but the Sabrina Teenage Witch or the new one? I I'll be honest, I actually really, really do miss good old like animatronic I like saw, a funny I saw something was, but, yeah. stupid puppet. Well, I, I watched that puppet. something on Facebook where like they have the original cast of Sabrina the Teenage yeah. Witch and it was really dumb but Did they have the cat puppet no but one of uh i think the woman that played hilda uh referred to him as the drunk rabbit oh probably caroline ray right yeah because yeah. he kind of looks like a drunk rabbit it was a rough puppet but it was fun he always looked bad i have a hard time <laughs> in my mind differentiating things that salem said on that show and things bender said on futurama because it's truly <laughs> the same character in my head <laughs> I think it might be played by the same voice actor. I think that might be why I'm having that issue, but you could switch the lines. They would be the same. You know? Is this like when people put Donald Trump's face on Lucille Bluth comments? Yeah. He's just sitting there, like, <laughs> reflecting on his yeah. favorites right now. When I was thinking of um, Gilmore, Grandma Gilmore, but that's the same character. Yeah, that's basically so. the same character. <laughs> <laughs> Still, though, I mean, yeah, like, New Salem pretty cool but not quite the same well, i was wondering either. and i mean spoiler alert for anyone that's not watched the new sabrina but at the end of it uh whatever her name is dr satan she tells her crow to talk and then the crow <laughs> talks and i wondered oh does that mean they're going to be talking now the yes i actually had the same thought because ambrose can't have one now too can he i think he can i think those rules are all gone essentially now oh i don't know and in the comic it's based on, he had a snake that talked to him a lot. Oh, that's fun. But the character's way different oh, really? in the comic. The comic is also just, like, balls-to-the-walls insanity. Yeah. They're, like, in the... Yeah. Yeah, it's is it fun. Really? It's written by Roberto, who wrote that one, who's the showrunner of the Riverdale, of Riverdale. And it's, I think at the beginning of it, it starts with, like, a three-way between Mrs. Satan and Betty and Veronica. And they do that to, like resurrect a creature who then like kills harvey there's like it's really bloody and it's basically the same like this this season is that first 
couple of comic books just with things changed obviously for television you can't really kill harvey in the first season of your we can't have betty and veronica in it when they're supposed to be on the other show breaks my heart because i think they die or something in that comic so it wouldn't quite i wouldn't mind sense. if harvey died <laughs> <laughs> well in the, in the comic what happens is harvey isn't into sabrina so sabrina does a love spell which she's not supposed to do harvey falls in love with her and then harvey sees the black um the thing where she signs her name mm-hmm. and then he gets killed and then she resurrects him but because he's so like and she's not supposed to do that in the first place and then because he's got this like love spell on him from before the feelings aren't right so he like comes out a monster and i think he does like kill like campers like at the end of the one i was reading or something really intense like I guess you can't just get rid of harvey the first season yeah, but the second half of the season, fair game. Yeah, they shifted over to his brother, which was the most. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely heartbreaking to watch Harvey try to fix his brother. Mm-hmm. That made me so sad. Well, how does Sabrina work into your writing, Jen, if it's, it's not... not the actual literal witch element? Yeah. Well, something that I liked in that... Uh, sh- witch element. <laughs> The thing that I liked about it the most was really like it had all that stuff, like uh, all the like devil worship and all of that stuff. And there was like a weird, like almost comical way that they portrayed it. But then at the same time, they dealt with it seriously. And it also very much like mirrored Catholicism and actual real life religion. And I just found it interesting that they took real life things, modeled it through something really taboo and then also made it comical but serious like basically the tone of it is what really resonated with me so i'm trying to keep that same tone because i want to talk about toxic friendship all of these things and have my character deal with those things but i don't want to just be like a buzzfeed listicle when i do it so i am i want a real character a real person like sabrina's a real person like hilda's a real person so i liked how they dealt with all those things Basically in the background and super casually while they focused mm. on character moments. I want yeah. I want that tone. Well, and you don't have in your writing sort of the the ace in the hole. I think the show did where it, the actors did a lot of work too. I think Kiernan Shipka has already done that before. She's already elevated a role that should be not really anything. You know, Sally Draper and made that something. Mm-hmm. But that's a challenge that we can all overcome or not, you know. Well, and Kieran, I was not at all surprised to see Kieran and Chip could do a good job, but like I said, Hilda and Zelda and those other characters that have before been reduced to something, you know, as B-roll, when they had whole arcs that focused on them without Sabrina in the picture, they were just as engaging. They didn't need Sabrina mm-hmm. to tell their stories. There is a lot in Sabrina the Teenage Witch, though, that's just about about uh, Caroline Ray dating separate from everybody, but I know what you mean. Yeah, but that's a, <laughs> that's a sitcom structure B plot. It's not... It was the most sitcom sitcom that's ever sitcom. You know, it's not Hilda, you know, establishing independence from her sister mm-hmm. in any sort of way. I liked it. I think it's a great show. I wonder how we're going to write about it next week. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for Sabrina Talk. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back next week. <laughs> No. So do we want to move on to the next segment? Yeah, let's do that. I think Jen's got a question for us. Yeah, so basically, um, especially at the beginning of NaNo, my biggest challenge was really fitting writing in when I have such a busy schedule. I have a really demanding 
a job and I also have a lot of side projects and ambitions and hobbies that I like to work on. And to be honest, sometimes I just like to be on my phone for two hours playing like mobile games. So <laughs> trying to fit all of that stuff in and also write when that's not really a daily routine for me. It's just, I want advice on how to freaking handle it without without going insane because I've been managing, but I don't want to damage my mental health to keep this up. Yeah. Well, I at least in the situation that I'm in right now, it's been a incredibly much needed break. So Jesse mentioned before that he's currently unemployed and it's very, very strange for the two of us that are fairly newly living together to now have one person that's at home at all times. There is almost no time when I get to be in the apartment by myself without someone else there. And I was living independently for a long time. This is really strange for me. So at least when I set aside, even if it's something like 10 or 15 minutes at my computer to write, I can solely focus on my Word document, the things that I have open to make sure that I am either distracted from or am, you know, inspired by, you know, open and ready to go. And I can have that quiet moment to myself in my head, in my characters or in the world that I'm building. And it's actually my my little moment of peace and quiet, which has been, you know, incredibly helpful for me. Mm-hmm. That's a nice way to frame it. Just thinking of writing as your self-care, basically. And I think it helps, you know, we talked last time also about journaling. It helps that it, that nothing I'm writing has to do with me. Uh-huh. I can make it as much about my situation as I want to. So if I'm having a day where, you know, it's been a crummy day and I don't want to think about work or I don't want to think about my family, or I don't want to do all these things, I can write about something that's absolutely in no way related to that. Which apps? Which apps, yeah. Which ones? (laughs) (laughs) You know, or if I am having a good day, because one of the things that I also was exploring is this story about um, a woman and her husband remodeling this Victorian house. And a lot of it is stuff about, you know, my relationship with Jesse and sort of exploring you know, what different scenarios look like. And it's kind of a way to work through that without having to pick a fight, essentially. <laughs> I can have my characters pick a fight, let them get to the natural, you know, end of that, and then decide whether or not it was something that was really bothering me before I even bring it up. So I can use it as my therapy. I can use it as a way to ignore it, but it's there. So you're saying then that little bit of time you get to carve out for that in your busy schedule is then more potent because you use it for those things and for that escape. Yeah, I think so, at least at the moment. Mm -hmm. I think my relationship with it is a little bit different. Um, Somewhere probably between you and Jen, or maybe Jen's in between the two of us, where I feel like I was at school learning about writing and learning about reading for so long. And then when I got done with school, I started working professionally reading and writing. And then, especially then, so I, I guess I can backtrack for a little bit. So if we're going to talk about balance of scheduling. I didn't have any balancing of scheduling then when I was reading, writing full time. I always had the intention to come home and be like, yeah, I'm going to now have my time for me to write about what I want to write about. And nobody can tell me what to write about. And then I would get home and I'd be like, I'm too tired to do anything. I'm just going to go to bed. Um, and that went on. And I, I never really knew how to beat that because then especially I'd be like, well, Saturday, that's all my day, man. And then I'd be like, the last thing I want to do is write today. 
And so in that, in that, that scenario really got really stressful for me. There was no, really no artistic output. Cause even if it wasn't writing, I had no time to do anything. Cause I was just so burnt out. Yeah. Um, I've read things before too. That sort of says that that sort of creative energy is more akin to like emotional labor too. Like it's not exactly the same, but it's in the similar realm where you're just exhausted in such a way that you can't, you can't deal with anything. It would be like if you were working in construction all day and then we're being asked to come home and build something. Well, then that's the frustration is, is I wasn't construction. I was in a desk all day. I hate being in a desk. So I would get off work and I'd have all this energy, but I couldn't think. So then yeah. what are you going to do? So it's like a me- just mentally wears you out. And that really is a, a strange and frustrating type of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Well, and then, and so now, and so then that, that sort of stopped, I got a different job and it wasn't that bad, but I didn't really have any reason to, I was doing okay. I didn't need to write anything. I didn't really feel like it. But now that I've, I've, I have all this time now that I've, I'm not working and now that it's nano time, I find that I have, I still have a hard time balancing that where uh, yesterday I sat at the laptop. I was like, I'm going to write. I'm not going to go outside. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to write. And I, I don't think I got a lot of uh, helpful writing done. At the end of the day, I was like, I'm so I'm so cooped up and mad. I can't do anything now. And I was grumpy. And you guys saw that. And I couldn't really like put together any thought because I was like, I'm going to sit down and write all day, which didn't work. And then so today I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to not write at all today. I'm not going to open my phone. I'm not going to, my, my computer, I'm not going to look at a screen if I don't have to. And so I think tomorrow I'll be able to hit it pretty hard. So I, I have a hard time doing the day by day balance things, but within like a week, I think now I'm a little better at getting kind of, kind of equal there. You do have to give yourself breaks sometimes, like give yourself permission to take breaks. Oh, I don't need an excuse to make take a break. I can make <laughs> up an excuse to do anything. <laughs> so when I start thinking like that, like I really can't do anything. So it's tough. It's tough, especially without that sort of that fire under my butt. Like it was when I was working. I don't think the work was good, but it was done. Well, they truly. So what I think, and I I would assume based on the fact that we're all doing this podcast, truly the best way to find balance is to find a buddy. If you, you don't have to find anyone that necessarily wants to read what you write or even care about what you're writing, <laughs> but just someone that, you know, also wants a little bit of help and finding someone that you can lean on as well. I absolutely love that I now have a reason to sit with two people I enjoy talking to every single day about stupid things anyway, uh-huh. you know, and specifically talk about writing yeah. and to specifically, you know share this is where I'm at this is what I'm having trouble with because I'm more motivated to and and this is just something about me personally I'm more motivated to do it to show you guys that I'm in it with you Mm -hmm. even if I can't necessarily find a good reason to do it just for myself that's always the great illusion of writing and I think not just writing but especially anything that's research-based that's academic-based that's whatever as you go you know what? I can do this all by myself. <laughs> I don't need nobody's help. And then you start doing that and you just break down and it just does not work and it's unhealthy. And then you go like, Oh, maybe I do need some help to do this thing that I should be able to do alone. Like technically you don't need a second person to write. Cause yeah. it is just you. you know? yeah, and so it's hard sometimes to go like, <laughs> I need people, but also I don't need people to go. I don't need people, but to actually need 
Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually really like the buddy system. It's it's good. Well, and you've introduced us sort of to the really both ridiculous and rich world of NaNoWriMo. So I think before my my perception about what this was, was, was like Jesse said, everybody retreats to their corner and doesn't talk to anyone else for a month. Mm-hmm. And then they uh, emerge from the month of November that says, look at this wonderful thing I have written. <laughs> Here's and- my prize winning novel. Exactly. Uh-huh. Please give me a Pulitzer. And instead, what it truly is, or at least the experience that we've had this month, is it's a lot of really earnest and dedicated people sitting at their computers with another window open where they're chatting with their friends who are also sitting at their computers with their windows open going, man, I'm stuck. Are you stuck too? And everyone else is going, yeah, we're stuck, but you can do it. Well, <laughs> let's get through it. And it's, you know, the the real joy of technology that we can really all be there to help build each other up and to build, you know, I don't have to know the names of everyone in, in our Discord channel, be it for Seattle or San Diego or any of that. I just know that they're there and mm-hmm. it, it I'm a social person, so it very much helps me. And I'm really excited to do one of the next write-ins because you said that's what helped you yeah. get ahead. Mm-hmm. So, Well, there's one thing that you cannot make up. Uh, you can't you can't approximate it by yourself. And I think it's more, almost more helpful than what you were talking about with everyone's very supportful, supportive, supportful. is yep. that there's got to be a way for two people or more who are writing to, in private and not real feelings, mock their other writers, including themselves. <laughs> oh <my> God, <laughs> and you went to school. I mean, and that, it's so cutthroat and you're so mean to everybody, but you don't really mean it. But then when you're, when you're out of school and you're like, did you hear that dumb, dumb thing that dumb, dumb guy said? You're like, yes, but like that guy's also your friend. And you would never say it to him and you know his stuff is good. But, you know, when it comes down to it, that's almost more helpful to me is that camaraderie of talking about a field or an industry or a skill set without actually talking about it. Just shooting the shit and just talking about everything around Oh, I see. So making it more approachable as like a thing to do, like, that's what yeah. you're trying to get at. I, think. I mean, Jesse talking about making fun of people in these chats ended up with... These chats are fine. These are not so bad. I'm thinking of... Well, no, it ended with him in trying to make fun of someone that was being snobby about Mexican food. He made a, a quip about Taco Bell and then was made fun of by everyone else for making a quip oh, about yeah. Taco Bell. So it's it's nothing. Oh, but, I, I remember you, know, you telling me about that, actually. Yeah, it's nothing. No, we're, all not do- yeah, we're, we're all doing it, yeah. But if you, you can't do it alone. And you can't do it mean-spiritedly <laughs> because then it definitely you can, comes. but it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't. That would just ruin the experience for everyone, right? Like, yeah. we want yeah. a place where people can feel comfortable coming to, to like, write and all. We don't want, like, people being afraid. <laughs> right, no, yeah. There's yeah. a difference between being silly and being mean. Teasing well, versus you, bullying, right? You know what you're doing. I mean, yeah. I think when I was younger, I would have said something mean to somebody and been like, now I feel better. And I really wouldn't have. And I think you've learned now that yeah, in adulthood, you really learned that a lot of the stuff you used to say and do that you thought made you feel better <laughs> definitely did not. Yeah. yeah. And it's not as if I don't still think the thoughts. I just don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're out here judging our discords. Great, great. Just kidding. 
The discords are fine. I'm just like thinking of like in grad school, like going to conferences and doing the conferences and everyone's very supportive. But when you come at the end of the day, when you go to the the bar that everyone has decided is the bar they're going to do the poetry reading at, Mm -hmm. and you all sit there all done with this thing that you've just slaved over for weeks. And then you make fun of the dumb poet on the other side of the bar with the guys that you just dealt with on this panel. You guys are all stressed, but now you're all having fun. You know, you don't have to be mocking them, obviously, but that camaraderie is almost more important than the actual work itself. Half the time, Camaraderie does make a big difference. And you forget that the poet on stage had to sit through your uh, oh, yeah. conference presentation. Oh, and, and they're doing was... a thing that I would never do. Yeah. <laughs> they're much braver than I am. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> So have you found any sort of balance, Jen? Is there anything that is working better for you than not? Um, Honestly, I haven't found a balance. I've just been staying up really late and uh, kind of sacrificing sleep for writing, which is not really a good habit to get into. So, yeah, I'm still trying to sort that out. But actually, our podcast does help me because it does like, this is just my therapy, honestly. (laughs) It just relaxes me. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think anybody actually does find true balance or do you think that's an illusion? I mean, I don't think you could ever have like perfect 100%, like never have an issue type balance, Uh but you can definitely be more at ease. I think, I think that that can exist. Well, and I think when you look at professional writers, there's a completely different, and we think we compare ourselves a lot sometimes to professional writers, but there's a completely different mentality well, and they so also get really advances to... and uh, things like that mm-hmm. to write, and they have like time in their day. And if something's going wrong, they can communicate that to their like agent. You know, like they have a whole different system in place to support uh, them, right? Wait, you mean I can't just go to my ML and be like, "Look, <laughs> I really need a do-over on uh, November 10th. Can we just like bump the calendar back?" <laughs> and I would really like to take tomorrow off. So can you just cover <laughs> me, like. <laughs> yeah, can you like make some stuff happen? Are there are there nano teams that write something together? There are people who do group work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Oh, maybe that's our 2019. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's actually even um, people who do um, group work through basically challenges on Discord, so they have to write paragraphs in response to each other. I've seen that kind of thing online before. I've never participated in any of that. It seems to. Um, I don't like the responsibility of like having to like respond and like think about that. I like to write whenever the hell I feel like it. So, yeah. Well, how is that? And cause I haven't seen it done. How does that look any different than like a role play? Cause there is, there are some places. Um, I used to do a lot of this on Gaia online. Oh shit. I remember that website way, <laughs> <laughs> way back in the day. Also on like Neopets and like other different forums where uh you would basically just instead of trading just dialogue you would basically trade walls of text uh-huh. and runescape they, no i was never on runescape um and then you know so you would write six paragraphs in response to someone else's six paragraphs um it wasn't it definitely wasn't always good and sometimes you would have that issue where um your characters were basically having two conversations at the exact same time because there were two sets of dialogue. 
anyway, it was it wasn't always a good thing, but I feel like my writing's like that now half the time when it comes to dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just wondering if it looks any different than that. Because that might be something It even... seems fun, certainly, even if it's not yeah good. It rem- it definitely brings me back to a thing that I really enjoyed at one point. Yeah, it kinda of reminds me of like improv games or something. Mm-hmm. To bring you back to your LARP days. I mean, no. Gosh, LARP I remember day. that. Um, um, I guess you could think of it as the same thing, right? Like just basically role play. Um, that's actually not a bad way to think of it. Which I mean, maybe that takes the pressure off for some people, you know? Which would be good. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, and it, I guess here's here's my wheel spinning. If I had spent all of Nano doing writing. For the role-playing game that I run, oh my gosh, I would be, first of all, all my players would hate me because I would have railroaded them too hard. It's weird that you <laughs> didn't have that idea two weeks ago, though. Like, you're saying that, and I'm like, why didn't we suggest that? Well, and that might be part of what I write as I kind of bounce around. That's true. Wait, I didn't know so. that you were part of a role-playing group. I run, this is loose, so... I have been playing Dungeons and Dragons on and off since high school, mm-hmm. and I love it. Um, and I love all sorts of other role-playing games. My favorite is probably um, this really, really, really ridiculous one called Monster Hearts. Oh, Jen would like that. It's it's honestly the best role-playing game I've ever um, played. It's basically everyone is a teen monster. It's... <laughs> Jesse's going to throw things now. It's like Twilight, the role Twilight and Buffy all rolled into one the role playing game. Okay, that sounds Anyways. hilarious and fun. So I we decided to pick up since we're now in, in the apartment, we decided to start a D and D group that um so so I'm gonna run it. Um we've gotten one You already session. ran it, yeah. Yeah, we have one session down and it's with Jesse, um, our other friends Jen and Jenny, um, my friend Jared, his girlfriend Lauren, and our friend Dave. Now how does that feel does that feel similar to uh what you're doing here the writing stuff so it feels it actually feels similar to the writing i described with the witch thing where i'm not necessarily which thing <laughs> every time I'm not gonna stop it. <laughs> um where you know instead of necessarily writing about specific characters i'm kind of writing about what's going on in this world on mm. a grand scheme it doesn't feel at all like what I wrote and read last week or what I'm writing about the couple in their house. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that is more focused on characters. I find that the games that I like to play that are, the role playing games I like to play in are the ones where there is a really, really, really rich world that I can put my own spin on. Uh-huh. And so I don't want to create a world that my characters can't or that my, my friend's characters can't, put their own, make their own mark in, or else they're just out there um, role-playing for me, you know, for my entertainment. And that's, that's not what I, that's not how I like to play when I'm a player. And that's not what I want to present to them. As a Would it help camp. you to write like that though, to create that universe and then create the characters to play within the universe? For me to create the characters? Yeah. No, I mean, I mean for like, if you're going to do that for your nano or something. Oh, I'm not sure what form it would take for my nano. I think if I were to write for this campaign in this nano, what it would be is me expanding on some of the pieces of the world that I want my characters to interact with in a way that's more of a, um, 
encyclopedia entry. So to give you as a player an entry on uh, what it is elves are like in my world. So that way you as an elf can feel more involved in the world at large. Mm-hmm. That's really cool, actually. I have so much fun that with That sounds it. so I, much, like, so much fun. Like, that sounds like something I would love to do. Being a, a dungeon master used to be something that I dreaded. It used to be something that I thought I wasn't very good at. And I think that's because there was a misconception in my own brain that for the longest time that you had to tell the story for your for the characters for the players and then when i started to swing the other way and completely let the characters tell the story well then i lost control and it was just a wild free-for-all so somewhere in the middle was this idea that you could create a world with interesting challenges in it and if you made it interesting your characters would not up to burn the tavern down and uh, make <laughs> bridges out of the corpses of their enemies. You know, if is you this make... a real life example of what you've dealt with people doing? Uh, this is a real example of things that I have helped with <laughs> as a destructive player. Wow. I can see that being very helpful for like storytelling. I have a hard time just putting together story. So yeah, I can see starting from the back there and moving in and discovering this world that you want your characters to play in and then have the characters be there as opposed to the character explaining the world. And I think there are, there are some stories that are seen through the eyes of the character. I think that Harry Potter doesn't exist if Harry isn't as kind of lovable as he is in the first book. <laughs> Maybe not so much by the time you get to the fifth book, but... Um, Hey, angsty fifth that, book Harry was very relatable for me at the time. <laughs> I really want to count how many times they say snog in that book, because I'm pretty sure there was a whole chapter where that was it. Is that where you learned that word? Yeah. That's how I learned that word, and that's also how I learned I think that word sounds extremely unattractive. Yeah, it yeah. does. It's really gross. I learned it from the book Angus Thoughts and Perfect Snogging, <laughs> but I'm just a little bit more interesting than you guys. <laughs> you have whatever that young adult book that my sister had in her room. But I think when you're introduced to this like little kid that's lived a crummy life in his closet and finally gets to do everything he's ever dreamed of, like you don't get to have a, a magical rich world without that perfect way into it. And then mm-hmm. there are things like Lord of the Rings where the characters are purposefully not as deep and well explored as I think we've gotten to in fantasy today, but the world is so rich. You just want to see more of what's in that world. Yeah. That's a really good example of a story that is told through the world, which I think is really an interesting way to tell stories. I wonder how that works outside of the world of fantasy and sci-fi. Like my only example that kind of comes to my mind, and I'm sure there's a million, I'm just not thinking about it is like Charlie Marlowe and heart of darkness, but you only don't know what's happening and he's only exploring the world through his eyes or whatever because it's the Congo and nobody knew about it at the time or because it was unknowable or whatever. So I wonder if there's a way to do that and not have it be like a child who's like grown up in a closet or something. <laughs> well, you see it in a lot in um, historical fiction or things that are kind of grounded like that. Like I thought that Ken Follett's Pillars of the Earth was a lot like What's that one? That's the one where they're building the cathedral. Which cathedral? I don't remember. Oh, okay. Um, 
The 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 Pillars of the Earth. I haven't read it in a long time, but that was one of the things where you were going forward to see kind of what happened on the grand scale rather than with anybody in particular. Oh. Well, that that reminds me of 100 100 Years of Solitude. That's the same way. Yeah. It's more about the family, but then the family also is the place, and then it's all allegorical, but that's interesting. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be the world yeah. as as a place setting as much as it's the world as the home, the community. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was thinking, like, there's a, certainly tons of examples like Harry Potter or, like, what I was thinking of was To Kill a Mockingbird, where where Scout's world is so small because she's a kid, but also the world they're in is small because it's a small town in the South. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then that's the issue in the next one, and Go Catch a Watchman, why that doesn't work, because mm-hmm. she goes back to the city and then comes back. And that has nothing to do with how the book isn't actually written by Harper Lee, and you can tell, and it's terrible. But <laughs> I think it's hard to to do that sometimes with an adult. Yeah. You see it a lot, actually, now that I think, in um, horror movies and horror stories. Yeah. Even outside of the fantastical element, there are some that are, you know, that you go through with the character. And there are some where you're just, you know, I think that's part of why all those Conjuring movies are so big. They don't care about the it's actual. Every, every love, Lovecraft story. Yeah, they don't care about the, the protagonist of the film. It's, you know, how more of that world has, you know. Get out, yeah. Mm-hmm. Telling you, no. Let me stir my tea a little stir bit. <laughs> well, Jennifer, that ask you answer your question about <laughs> balancing your schedule. Yep, I think I've got it figured out now for sure. Wow. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> nice. All <simple>. right. <laughs> I think it's about time for then for me to read a bit, unless we anyone else anyone else want to say about scheduling. No, I think you no, are no, up on the no, schedule no, to no. read a bit. To read a bit. Okay. So what is it? Are you going to read something from your nano piece or are you going to read something else that you've written? This is from my nano piece. I was unaware that we could read from other things until you just said that. <laughs> um, so this is from a scene that I'm, I'm not sure where it goes, uh, where it belongs, I mean. Uh, I was bored writing what I was writing, so I kind of skipped forward a little bit. Uh, this is not a movie plot. This is not a introduction to a self-help book or anything like that this is just a scene i'm not sure where it goes i'm not sure if it helps me with anything but it did kind of help me understand where i wanted to go or where i didn't want to go and then there's a little bit of a a happy accident and inside of it that helped me figure out a few other things so real quick before you start since you are jumping into the middle is there anything we should know about the Um, characters being brought up or does it kind of work without knowing those things I think this deals with some peripheral characters, so I don't think you really need to know anything. Okay. Uh, I could be wrong. You guys could ask me. Okay. So, I could tell the darkness had overcome Jane by the way her eyes had looked. She looked frantic and overtaken, yet distant and aloof. Something more than drugs. Jane seemed something like a very astute captured animal of some sort, not unlike the passengers on the bus up here. Somewhere between the trees I thought I saw movement, but couldn't be sure of anything anymore. Look at me, I said. What is happening? Where are the others? They're they're gone. I don't know, Jane said with her eyes moving back and forth, looking for anything familiar. They surrounded the car. I remember everybody yelling, and that's it. Then I was here with you. All right, let me get you in the car. Let me see if I can't figure out where everyone went. 
I helped Jane back to Trevor's car, grabbed Trevor's Walmart handgun from the glove compartment, and slipped it into the inside pocket of my overcoat. I decided my best bet would be to go the way of the shapes I thought I saw, but knew in the pit of my stomach that whatever I found that way wouldn't be what I was looking for, just another more sinister problem to deal with. It goes without saying, but the forest was dark. Despite the high branches of the redwoods, the entire forest floor was black, only punctuated by the occasional moonlit fern or fallen tree. There was no apparent wildlife and no sounds suggesting that anything was living or ever had been living. Suddenly, breaking up the silence was the creaking of a twig to my immediate left, just beyond a patch of two or three smaller redwoods. I slowed my already slow walk to a near crawl and attempted to see what I could see in that cold, inky black void. A shot broke out, hitting the thick bark of the redwood tree about two feet above my head. I dropped to the ground, my face in the middle of a fern, and pulled Trevor's Walmart handgun out of my jacket pocket. Who's there? I yelled for some reason, towards towards where the shot surely originated. Another shot hit the redwood. Whoever was shooting either wasn't a great shot or they didn't have any intention of hitting me. What do you want? Why are you doing this to me? You better get away from here if you know what's good for you, the voice said in the darkness. It was a tired tone, yet without the distance that I had learned to be wary of these past few days. I don't mean to hurt you. Look, I'm down here. I slipped the Walmart handgun into the outside right pocket of my now dirty overcoat. I was just looking for my friends. I heard screams and thought it might have been them. Let me get a look at you. A flashlight turned on for the direction, from the direction of the voice. Would you say your name was? I didn't, but my name's Jordan. See, nothing to worry about. You look just like the people I'm here worrying about, but you'd be the only one that stopped when I yelled, so you must not be one of them. One of who? Who was that? I think I know about as much as you do. Now get out of here. Go back to wherever you came from. I've had about enough of other people today. Have you seen them before? Those people in the trees? Did you see them do something with that girl at all? I said while pointing in the dark to where I thought the car and Jane might be. The flashlight shone towards the cars. I took a step towards it. The light swiftly returned to illuminate my weary face. No, I don't know her. Now go. It's best if you go. How do I know you're not with them? And you're not just going to shoot me in the back of the head the moment I turn around. You don't, the voice said, instantly turning off the light. Instantly, the forest seemed more quiet and darker than it ever had before. It was as if I had found a new level of darkness before unknown by humans. Well, it would have been a joint discovery between me and whoever was in possession of the tired voice. I flipped on the headlights as soon as I got back in the car. Jane was dead. Looked like a gunshot, but there's no way to be sure anymore. That's it. Yeah. That's good. That had a really strong, mysterious vibe to it, which I think was what you were going for, right? It's, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I love when... um dialogue goes really back and forth like that because I I have a little bit of dyslexia when I read so a lot of the times I actually kind of lose who's talking Mm -hmm. but I think if you're a good writer which I think this led to it lets that happen on purpose everything is happening so quickly and you're supposed to be in that position of the the narrator where you your guess is as good as mine kind of thing so the confusion is making you as a reader confused I like it well, that's something I it's started. Visceral feeling. Yeah, that's something I started doing earlier. Is I made a choice not to have a lot of explanation of quotes. So a lot of times it'll just be lines, and it won't say who wrote said them, followed by a line. It won't say who said it, but I would hope that the blocking of the scene that I set to set up in the beginning would make it make sense. And then once it gets too far away, that I'll throw in a she said to try okay. to keep that going like that. Well, and that's stuff that if you stick with it, you can, you know, tweak later. But mm-hmm. in, you know, 
in a zero draft, you're yes. getting the right mood across. Yeah, I'm just trying to get the words out more than I'm trying to do anything. Also, I thought it was interesting. It was not interesting, but it was it was a, a reason to you know just write. Was I started writing this, and then I I was like, oh, I need a name for the guy in the car, and I go Trevor. Okay, Trevor. And then I write the whole thing, and I'm like, did I use that name before? And I I alt F'd it, control F'd it, and I saw that I had used Trevor's name before. And the really? time, time I used it, he like vaguely knew the woman who's missing inside. He was like the friend of a friend of the woman missing in the story. Oh. And I'm like, well, I'll just leave that. I'll just write my way to have that make sense. Because before oh, I had no cool. no way to get to it. You know? No, that's really cool. And so it's kind of a happy little accident. Uh, that I, I love oh, when that stuff happens. Yeah. What did you guys think of the scene? Could you see it? It can I definitely did like it. Say it, see it, yeah, especially with yes. all of the different things in the forest. Now, you said before that you were setting it in Los Angeles. So how did you get so far north? They took a bus, baby. <laughs> and that was always the idea all bus, along. Is that what you said? Yeah. Uh, when I drafted it out earlier, you know, in November, I knew the logistical directions I wanted it to take. I wanted it to go from L.A. up and then back down. Um, so I just didn't know how to do that. I mean, I knew how to do that, but I didn't share that earlier because I hadn't done it yet. Oh, that's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. I liked I liked that actually. As you were reading, that I could just immediately tell that you were in the north part of California. You know? Yeah, I mean the st- decks the decks a little stacked for us because Jen and I grew up in this forest. Yeah, and there's something else too where it's like uh, you remember when we read like what's her name like the Awakening and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, Kate local. Yes, thank you. And like localized writing, local writing, I think is what it's called. Travel uh, travel writing? No, yeah. No, local writing when it has local flavor really strong in it. Yeah, I think it's called local like local color. flavor. Local color, yeah. Local color. Yeah. So local color is one of my favorite um, stylist, uh, styles in writing at all ever. Because um, it's just so fun to like, I, it helps paint the picture for me when people pull so strongly from reality like that and so that's actually something that i felt like had really good local color that scene anyway i just could i could feel the redwoods because i know them well you know i like that well that's good because earlier inside of it too i i think i get a little too slice of lifey like i said i had to describe everything that happened between here and there and i i don't dislike that i just think it's sometimes hard to write and sometimes hard to read so i'm happy that that came through into this more sort of kinetic scene well, as someone that knows the Redwoods, but not in that kind of born and raised in, I know it as a tourist, mm-hmm. you still do get that feeling. You get that, that's, those are the Redwoods that I saw. I don't know them even half as well as you do, mm-hmm. but that captured that for me. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the thing is, I wrote this first and I realized there were some words that stood out to me. I think I called the darkness a void or whatever else like that. And then when I wrote that introduction to that fake book, the fake book is about, which will happen earlier in the uh, the story, is about uh, the about overcoming the everyday treachery of the modern day void states. It's just nonsense. <laughs> but I think yeah. it's funny now to like be putting those descriptors that come up again and again inside of the because first person in the protagonist narrative and sprinkle them throughout the rest of the book uh, through things he sees. Like, I think the movie, the fake movie script has stuff he says later too, which I know that's just 
from the big Lebowski, that's what happens there. But I think it's still fun. And even if I like it, it's just, you know, uh, thematically, I still think it's kind of fun. Well, that's what happens for a lot of people is you, the, the book you read, you see shades of it and everything you're doing. Mm-hmm. So why would that not happen to your protagonist? No. Yeah. And, but, but writing that first <laughs> made me go like, well, I want to explore that further before and go back and forth. So it was a, a good way to go, you know, just stuck and just went to a new page. The only problem you're going to run into is that if all you're writing is the introduction, the first chapter of defeating void states, I need, I have a lot of help that I need in my life. I may need you to finish that. Well, in that, in the introduction, I explained what all six chapters are. Oh. A great deal of beauty, the variable being of lightness. Chapter three and four, the ordinary solution in where will we be tomorrow, daddy? (laughs) And then chapter five, varieties of mushrooms and the shapes you can find them in. What's the book called? I always forget. It's called um, A Modest Treatise of Modern Life. And the introduction is called An Open-Ended Overview to Avoided Life and Repose. The second introduction, which responds to the first one by the same author, is called The Orphan Face of Man or A Great Many Balconies. <laughs> so... I know you're not supposed to delete during Nano. Scrap all of it. <laughs> just write that. This can, is what I'm here for. I'm kind of thinking like I can release this just separate later and just sell it to people. Or <laughs> tell them I'm serious. Either that or release that first. And then the novel is a follow-up. It's basically oh, your yeah. little guerrilla marketing. That would be fun. Well, you know what, though? There's actually a really famous uh, NaNoWriMo novelist who did that. She wrote uh, Fangirl. Have you ever read that? Mm-mm. That yeah. sounds familiar. It's by Rainbow Rowell. She's really popular. Um, she writes YA. So Rainbow, uh, she wrote um, Fangirl. And in Fangirl, the lead writes fan fiction. So she did a follow-up a few years later. Oh, by the way, she wrote Fangirl during NaNoWriMo. Oh, got published. that's super She's really cool. famous. She wrote the follow-up where she printed uh, the story of the characters that that, that that lead would write fan fiction about. Oh. So there was an actual book about those characters. It's called Carry On. That's oh, so, I just saying, you could do it. You could have your nano book and then your follow up. Well, and then as <laughs> as I said, I was watching Other Side of the of the Wind, the Orson Welles flick, and I have a movie inside the movie, so I think it's just a little bit of that too, which is always fun. You know why not? Yeah, Shakespeare did it. Everyone loved it. Did he do it? He has plays inside plays. I've never read anything by Shakespeare. Oh, I always forget that. Never in your life. I don't believe that. I read Romeo and Juliet in the ninth grade, and that's it. Really? Not even in college? They didn't force you to take the Shakespeare I don't know how it happened. I have a master's in English literature. (laughs) I swear I was forced to take that class. And I remember that was one of the only classes in in, uh, Humboldt State University that I actually did not like. Oh, no. I avoided it all. That's amazing. Yeah, I can do math at a fourth grade level. I never read Shakespeare. <laughs> please, please hire me, sirs. Yeah, your resume is just, it's just stellar. Right in itself right now. Nothing but school. Well, I guess with your piece, what is your, not what is your next step, what are you having trouble doing? What is it that you want feedback on? What do I want feedback on? I guess maybe I would like more like basic level feedback in the uh, actually like a syntax of it or how it sounds I, I know that the images seem to have done okay but i feel like there's some grammatical issues which i know we're writing as fast as we can so that's going to happen but does it sound right like- I, I was gonna say like with nano that's not really something like to make yourself 
freak out over or uh-huh. stress about too much. I just know I'm doing this thing so I can avoid having to take any time where I keep saying things like, Jane seemed something like, or there's a lot of them that's like, oh, the thing was something like some sort of thing that is this. Like, I'm not doing the the metaphor. <laughs> I'm going, here's what the metaphor kind of is. But I think you can work that into your character. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Instead, Wait, what do you mean? So my dad has the worst celebrity face recognition of all time. Um, he was at a restaurant with my mom and this woman walked in and he turned to my mom and was like, that woman has like the most like Diane Keaton, Annie Hall look going on of anyone I've ever seen. And my mom looked over and looked at back at my father and was like, yes, because that's Diane Keaton. Like that's who that actually is. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> right. My father is a wonderful man and a little bit oblivious. So you can make it. So your, your protagonist is, you know, always a little off the mark with his, his metaphors or with mm. his siblings where he, he almost he gets it. Can't quite get on. Yeah, he almost yeah. gets it, but he doesn't quite get it. Well, I feel like that's also, and maybe a little bit of why I did it. That's also kind of a trope of the the hard boiled detective sort of character. Is they're so they're so over the world that they're all kind of dismissive and sarcastic. So saying that something is like something that's something else is probably not too strange, really. When you when you put it like that. Well, and continue to let go. So just because you're having a syntactical frustration here mm-hmm. zero you know zero draft zero That's draft true. zero draft all of this you know if you and i have joked about it on the podcast we'll edit this in post That's true. you'll edit it in <laughs> december yeah i guess we can save all those questions for yeah for december we'll not save them it's important to know that they're there saving but... them <laughs> control s control s but yeah, just keep pushing forward and either make it something that works for you or resign yourself to fix it later. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that makes And sense. if you are if you feel like it's interrupting your writing, like you can't really like you don't want to keep making the same mistakes that there's less you have to edit in the future. Uh-huh. That's what you're worried about. Um I'm sure we'll maybe. talk about this later, but how much do you go back and edit, Jennifer, in your your experience? Oh, after? Well, I have like a really bad habit of pushing myself so hard during nano that as soon as it's over, I'm exhausted and don't really continue. Yeah. And that's actually why this year I don't want to repeat that same thing. I want to, I mean, that's actually um, a critique of NaNoWriMo that a lot of um, other writers have too, why they don't participate because for them, it exhausts them to the point that they don't write anymore. Oh, it seems to encourage burnout. Yeah. So I don't want to have burnout. And so I'm taking it easy and I'm, my goal is really just to write consistently, but not mm-hmm. um, freak out about the word count as much. Because I can't guarantee I'll ever look at this again afterwards, but that's fine. Yeah, That's mine to look at or not to look at. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I think that, especially as I'm kind of muddling through, just plinking away at writing little bits at a time, it's very likely that nothing I write this month will ever become anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But I like the discipline that I'm kind of forcing myself into with this. Um, I like, you know, in you as your partner, I like that, you know, I come home and you feel like you've done something. Mm -hmm. It's really, really, it feels more rewarding 
than anything else, even if I'm not going to have a finished product at the end of it. Mm. You know, my real hobby, my real thing that I do when I want to complete a project is I sew. That's what I love doing. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have to talk about that eventually later too, just that difference between a tangible hobby and an intangible hobby. Because you know? mm-hmm. I think it makes a big difference and I've never had a tangible hobby. It never it doesn't really make sense to me. And I think there is a little bit of a, a different level of satisfaction at the end of it. Yeah. Well, having right. that like, physical evidence, I think that would make a difference actually. Yeah. How good it I mean, you could always print the book. But... Yeah. There you go. Just, just hop by your local library. Yeah. It's five cents a copy. Yeah. <laughs> Slightly cheaper. Uh, you can self-publish <laughs> ebooks on Amazon. Oh, yeah. All the best authors do that. Um, I'm a really, really big supporter of that, just in that there are those um, dinosaur porn books. Oh, my God. Like yes. Chuck yeah. Tingle. Amazon. Yes. Yeah. And Chuck Tingle. Like, Amazon makes everything possible. There are no longer, we are no longer told by the editing companies that be that the things we want to read or write about are invalid. They can no longer just tell us we're not getting our dinosaur porn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's great for stuff like that, but my issue is like they they hold the rights to anything that you publish through them. Is that true? Yeah, so that makes I think it is. I have to look it up again, but I feel like when I looked into it a couple of years ago, it's kind of expensive. They don't really help you with much, and then they retain all the. Well, I know it's not time. actually expensive to publish on there. That's why a lot of people. Do. Oh, is it not? Um, oh, the difference is oh. if you want to copy it. Oh, you mean like digital? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's cheap. Yeah, if you're I was trying thinking, to print, yes, you're like right. If you want copy. hard copies, I think they still maintain the copyright to a point, but I, I don't. I don't quite know. Well, I know though that like the thing with me with um, Kindle and stuff mainly is just that. Um, Jenner. What? Oh God, no. Um, <laughs> people don't really take advantage of the copy editing option through um, Amazon, right? Because it's expensive. Does it cost extra? Yes. Oh, okay. And so what you get is a lot of stuff that I honestly think really needed copy editing to make sense. And it's it just kind of bums me out sometimes because there might be a story that I think sounds really fantastic and I can't wait to read it. And then it just doesn't make sense or it's really, really hard to get past all the mistakes. And it's just like, yeah. you know, just pay for copy editing. Just to be fair, massive books that get published have great copy editing, but no story editing. So you either go one or the other. Yeah, no. And I honestly don't think making like grammatical mistakes or anything or spelling errors, that doesn't matter to me. I just want to be able to understand. It yeah, I want to be able to understand it. And that's what that's when I feel like kind of disappointed because not like in a I'm mad at that person way, but in a like. I really was looking forward to this book and I'm kind of sad. I don't yeah. understand what's happening. Or you can just read Finnegan's Wake in which everything is spelled phonetically for some reason. Well, not for some reason because James Joyce is allowed to make those choices. <laughs> Did you ever read that? Like Joyce's biggest issue was that he had terrible grammar. And so the Joyce you get now is mediated through everything. Cause his writing like sucks so bad. He, he famously like only wrote in run ons. So, like, yeah. when I was in high school and all my teachers were like, Jess, you do a lot of comma splices. I'm like, yeah, I do. But now I read it, I'm like, yeah, this made no sense. I'm trying to understand why they did this. Yeah. the first thing you called me out on when you read my writing. No, I didn't. No, no. <laughs> that was a... Oh, what are you talking about? When I wrote when I wrote that um, proposal for work. 
that's business language. Business language is a little tough to not do that because it is so like strangely stifled and kind of stiff and you have to do that. So it's hard not to go like, hello, here I am, comma, here's my idea, comma, you know, like it's, it's kind of hard not to sometimes. Yeah. And I guess I'm a hypocrite because I did write a multiple page project proposal for work for fun on the side yeah, <laughs> earlier really? this year. I did. I was very, very proud of it. It had pictures, it had fancy words, and everything. Jennifer, do you have that issue, too, where somebody, loved one, or family, or friend shows you something they wrote, and all you can do is make copywriting corrections? <laughs> I don't really do that very often, honestly. Like, I've gotten to the point where I can't, it's, I almost, I almost make mistakes on purpose. Um, hmm. Not on purpose, like, oh, time to throw in a mistake. But just, you know, um, you know, on Tumblr, for example, it's really common to have text posts where there's no capitalization whatsoever. Oh, the Internet, there's no rules. I'm not doing anything. Well, that's really what I mean, though, is that I like I fall into these habits of um, like Internet linguistics, basically, where I don't capitalize or anything like that. And so if I get like an email or a text or anything from my parents or whatever, I just I filter it through my Internet linguistics. Like I don't care don't care uh-huh. because I make those mistakes like basically as part of our like modern culture. So I don't care. Do you at work? Do you ever call your manager a small bean? Oh my God. S M O L. Yeah. I sure do not. I love Tom having a job and I don't want to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, I do put emojis in all of my work emails and that's real. Oh, uh, I love doing that. It's so funny. <laughs> I'm always afraid to do emojis and work email because uh, you talk about being such a child of the internet. Like, I don't think anyone in my copy would understand what the table flipping guy oh, yeah. is if I did that. Oh, yeah. So I, I have to, if, if it doesn't, if it isn't just a sem, if it isn't just a semicolon or a colon in any kind of parentheses, or like a tongue face, uh, just don't do it. Peaches, 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 eggplant. <laughs> Nothing but eggplant. Oh, I use just the actual thing. Apple emojis on my computer. I don't do the whole like text emojis. Oh, we only have like yeah. a Microsoft Outlook nonsense. So gotcha. it's text or nothing. I always think, because like when I would send business emails before, I would spend a smiley face and be like, they know what I'm talking about. And then every time I got one of the smiley face, I'm like, what are they talking about? What is the smiley face about? <laughs> <laughs> So I always think they understand, but I never understand when I get one. (laughs) We're missing one of the most important parts. What are we missing? We need to know what tools we need in our survival kit this week. Yeah, let's talk about our survival kit before we sign off. Um, So Leah, what are your top three writing tools? Oh, I'm so excited to talk about my writing tools because they are, I think it, it, it speaks very much to just how different writing tools are than what the stereotype is the stereotype is like every writer needs a typewriter and a pencil and all of those things and mm-hmm. i think that is complete bs <laughs> um i mean there are some people i'm sure that that's a very helpful way to to write but um what i need you know all caps n-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-e-
Pinterest board dedicated to whatever it is I'm writing. I was gonna I was curious about that if you did that. Yes, I am I love visuals. I love having something in front of me that I can then describe because a lot of the time I don't write with local flavor. I want to write about something that I either want or have never seen or want to see. So having a visual representation in front of me lets me kind of explore that. I am a big note card writer. We talked a little bit about balance earlier. Part of the way I actually balance the fact that I go to work and don't spend a lot of time at a computer during the day is that I have note cards in my backpack. So if I think of something interesting, um, instead of writing it in my phone, which is usually not on me in case my boss ever listens to this, <laughs> it's away in my my locker. Um, I have note cards so I can go and just jot something quick down and then be able to access that later. And it's never, you know, it's usually not phrases. It's like X does Y, you know, mm-hmm. uh, witches question mark, <laughs> you know, witches that sort of thing. Just, just something to, to when I sit down at the computer to kind of jog my memory and to kind of filter through there. So part of the reason for the, the story of the house that I have so much of it outlined is because as I'm at work walking around doing other things and thinking about it, I was able to kind of outline what it is I want to happen so that when I sit down, I can go in and just sort of plug Uh in as I feel like it. Um, And then my third thing is actually something that I don't always have, but I need a something out away from my chair right now. It's a little file box for me to put my feet on because I am a gargoyle sitter. (laughs) So I like to sit with my legs crossed under my body or with my knees up near my chest or just in some way, like crouching like a gargoyle in my chair. (laughs) And of course that means my, my feet, my legs fall asleep. So you want to see my new writing position I found yesterday. Remember this is a podcast, so you can describe it. Okay. So I put my feet up here. So Jesse, table. Jesse is leaning back in his chair. And I put the computer right here. His legs are on the table. His feet are on my table. Feet are on and the table. They're crossed. And then he pulls his laptop close to the edge of the table by his knee and types with his body kind of twisted a But little then bit. check this out. I can put anything I want over here and it's at arm's length. Up here, I gotta reach around. Over here, it's half the table. Like it could all be a bunch of different, every flavor of Gatorade I could ever want: <laughs> blue, red, Arctic, Pepino, yellow. Any of them. <laughs> yellow. Yellow is my favorite flavor. <laughs> I should tell you enough about Jen. <laughs> but if you sit crouched like some sort of monster. You can reach across the entire table. There's pros and cons for everything. So yeah, so I need, I definitely need a footstool so that when my my limbs fall asleep, I can stretch them out. Those are my must-have writing tools. Your must-haves. My must-haves are pretty simple. I mean, not counting the laptop. You can kind of not count that at this point because you have to have something to write on. But other than that, I use a a yellow legal pad a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. I like the way they work. There's not a lot of pages with a notebook. I don't like the two pages and it's hard to write on one side and your, your hand gets all covered with ink or whatever. So I like the, the yellow he legal that, pens. but he's right-handed. Yeah, but still. Um, I like them of every shape and size. I like the big ones. 
I like the small ones. I have in my every bag I have, I have two or three that I just use for everything. So why yellow? It's easier in my eyes, I think. I think I've tried white ones and they work. It's just I think especially if you're in like the sun, I think the 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 it just gets to be too much to look at. Um and then I use a black pencil and not just like a dark pencil, but like a Ticonderoga black. Still a number two, but it's black. It's got a black eraser. Got a black eraser. I've seen those in the stores. I love them. The thing is, they changed them a couple years ago, and they're not as dark as they used to be. <laughs> um, and they don't, they don't, but they do, they do sharpen easier now. So it's a little bit of a give and take. Because before, they were one of those ones where you would have to really struggle, and the moment you put on the page, it broke. You know? Remember when I just said oh, that, like the typewriter thing was a stereotype about writers that probably wasn't true, throw it all out the window because clearly you're fitting all the writer stereotypes with your specific pencils. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so funny. You're really describing very specific paper and very specific Well, when pencils. I have one type of pen I can use, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what the type is, so I just have to come across it, so I can't describe that one, but I would describe it if I could. So then what would be your third? Third would be note cards, like yours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like throwing them in my bag. I like having them everywhere else. I like living around them. I I think that's a big part of this is I need to live in what I'm writing a little bit. So I got the legal pad, even though I don't really need it. I've got note cards scattered around because I don't really, they have a couple notes on them that are are helpful, but I could write it on the computer, but I like to live in these things. I like to touch these things. A lot of times when I'm writing, like right now I have books that I am taking inspiration from. I didn't, I'm not reading them, but they're there. Yeah. So what books are they? I'm staring at them, but they mean a little bit more to you than they do to me. These ones are kind of just ones I grabbed. I have The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler, which is the first Philip Marlowe novel. Um, there's Love in the Time of Color, which I've not read, but it's Gabriel Garcia Marquez, which I feel embarrassed now because I talked about him earlier. And then Deleuze and Guitar's Thousand Plateaus, which is a little bit like that fake self-help book I wrote in there. Those are just two philosophers, especially Gilles Deleuze, the first writer. They talked a lot about post-structuralism and he they famously did anti-oedipus where they kind of undo the basic texts of psychoanalysis it's it's not really too interesting but there's a lot of like trippy language about bodies and mm-hmm. stuff like that so it's fun i like it but it's more important that it's around than it what it says and i could yeah so i like i like i like tenuous things so you know the pencil, the legal pad. You like you like to create an environment that, for you, feels like a writing environment that like matches what you're going for. Yeah, I like to really be living in the thick of it, so to speak. And I mean, you also sit. I, like you know, I I work at a large desk, which is part computer desk, part sewing desk, and you really do like sitting at the the dining room table in the corner and creating your little nook rather than sitting at a real just stale looking desk well it's it goes into it and it's probably something we're going to talk about some other time but when i get tired of working in this one environment i'll go to a library i can't really go to coffee shops i can but i like libraries more and i think why i like them more is that i'm now among the other written words not that i am that much of a fetishist about books but there is something about them and being around them and it's smelling like them and everyone else being there for them for the most part, that is is helpful. I like that. That's actually a really nice image. Thank you. <laughs> what about you, Jen? 
So for me, um, I guess it's similar to both of you. Uh, so first, I always have to have my writer's Bible or notebook, right? And that's similar to Leah's Pinterest thing where I need visuals and my like my notes that I take. And a lot of the time, my notes that I take are sketches or maps or things that are just like funny quotes that I heard that make me think of my book. Um, stuff like that, just like basically cutesy stuff not necessarily like character maps or anything full like that it's um more visually oriented and aesthetic and i actually as soon as you started talking about pinterest leah i'm like i'm freaking making a <laughs> pinterest oh yeah in my book like that is absolutely brilliant i'm just doing be that. careful i think i tried to do that because you will lose what? so much time <laughs> oh, on pinterest? oh i know i've gone down that i've gone down that rabbit hole um, I actually tried to do a Pinterest board for my book years and years and years and years ago, and I forgot about it. And it has like three pins to it, and one of them's like a steampunk. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I've never in my life written a steampunk book, it's just like I saw it and I was like, "That's kind of cool." People write that stuff. I'll pin that. Like that's they're like it's like computers, so. but they're machines. What if computers were machines? <laughs> What if they ran on Steam? I love. I actually love the idea of steampunk. I've just never written it. I have a very um, conflicted love of steampunk. I love with the the whole like historical fiction thing. Like uh, I love me some Victorian era, and I love the idea of like neo Victorian. But there are some incredibly irritating tropes in steampunk. I also get really oh, are they? I'm I'm not familiar with them not even all. in the writing. I come from it more of in like a. Uh, construction like crafty kind of way but it's in my opinion and my opinion is wrong because no one's (laughs) however you want to do steampunk is valid yeah however you want to be steampunk is valid but from my perspective it is a punk offshoot which means it is a little more diy so i find that people who buy a lot of steampunk pieces or spend a lot of money on steampunk pieces is kind of defeating the punk aesthetic. Do you ever be like, man, is your sewing machine run off steam, man? And then if they say no, do you punch (laughs) them in the butt? (laughs) Yeah, I actually go to steampunk conventions and just (laughs) get in someone's face. I ask them if they had to boil water to make that corset. And if they say no, I punch them in the butt. (laughs) I'll bring you with me next time. Cool. It's a lot of fun. Cool, cool. <laughs> Did you have to boil water? To I hate steampunk stuff, and I, I I just don't like it. I shouldn't say I hate it. If you like it, it's fine. Um, but I was like, this stuff's kind of dumb. But then anything that's vaguely cyberpunk, I'm like, give it to me, which is truly dumber than steampunk half the time. <laughs> you want to hack the mainframe? I always want to hack the mainframe. The mainframe never runs off steam because it's not steampunk. So, and then what else, Jen? Other than your your uh, your oh right, yeah, we're still talking about me. What uh, um, what notebook do you have this year? Do you change every year? Or is it? Uh, yeah, I usually get a new one just because I actually run out of space. Particular about uh, your notebooks too, aren't you? Yeah, I, I am. I'm very. I'm like a weird journal person, and like you know, like beyond bullet journal, like beyond that, even like I'm obsessed. And I have, like, subscriptions to stationery uh, stuff. Uh, I'm absurd. Um, anyway, so so I have a Baron Fig uh, notebook this year. Very nice quality notebooks for anyone what curious. What do the pages smell like? 
<laughs> paper. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you were disgusted um, that I could even <laughs> ask such a question. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I should have responded like, oh, it smells like, you know, like lavender and whatever. Anyway, so yeah, the notebook's really nice, but um, I'm going I'm going digital, man. I like that Pinterest idea. So aside from that, my two other things I absolutely need are my sweats <laughs> and my Wait, headband. Wait, would you say that they're your right sweats? Right Night sweats. Yes, they're my right sweats. <laughs> I need my right sweats and my headband. Um, and that's actually a mental thing. Um, if I switch into my like writing clothes, it's like a mental, like a mental shift. That like makes me feel like like when you clock yeah, into work, yeah. you know, or like when you it's put your on uniform. your work clothes, yeah, basically yeah. my uniform, and it helps me. It helps me focus, and I don't really, I don't know how that works, but it's a great cue to start writing just by putting on my headband. Oh, I like that. I'm really curious to see if this changes. Like once Nano is over, like if once we're writing on a more less time intensive schedule if any of those like must have survival things change at all generally named two or was that the second one? Oh, i named three yeah the sweats and the headband are where i counted them as two because they're two separate pieces of clothing uh, tricky, tricky. but if you think that's a cop out I could yeah give us the third one I, um i usually like to have like grapes which <laughs> is also very specific grapes they're really easy to eat grapes yeah Really easy what to color eat, grapes? so I like them. Red. And a yellow Kool-Aid? Yellow Gatorade. Yellow Gatorade? Yellow Kool-Aid, what? I like yellow Gatorade, yeah. Hmm. He's looking at me, expecting <laughs> me to judge you. I I see, now I like that, that on the podcast, I just heard silence on my end, and I was like, what, what is this awkward yeah, silence? Jen, do you wanna... But it's Jesse trying to make Leah judge me. Yeah, do you want to see me put my feet up on the table some more? Does that really work for you? <laughs> well, if the listeners uh, follow us on Instagram, maybe we'll share a picture of you in your writing pose. I'll sketch one for them. <laughs> I want to see your gargoyle pose too, Leah. <laughs> I have a gargoyle pose as well. <laughs> so this week we'll I, I totally this week we'll share our uh, various writing poses. Yeah. So stay tuned to that. <laughs> so was there anything else you wanted to go over? No. So next week it is another. <laughs> What is it? 10,000, 5,000 words. So we're going to be at 2,500 or so. No, more than that. More than that. I... It's more than 5,000 because it's 16. When is the, um, when's the big event, Jen, the, when you're going to San Francisco for? Uh, so that's November uh, 18th. So next, next weekend on wow. Sunday. So we'll have to get our recording in on yeah. Saturday before you leave. Well, or she yeah. can come back and tell us how it went. Well, that too. Or I could record live. I I will have a place to stay once I book it. An Airbnb or a hotel. I should probably get on this soon. (laughs) At the very least, uh, you can record something. We can drop it in. Some, you know, thoughts in the moment. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. I could do that. Oh, maybe I should. I'm sorry. I just realized I should name. Oh yes. Going to. It's the night of writing dangerously. It's a special charity event for oh, And you've been raising money for this for a while, so you can go. Yes. How yeah, long are you going to be in San Francisco? So I'm going to be there for two days. Whoa. Just the weekend. It's more than one day. What? <laughs> yes. Yes, it's more than That'll one be day. Fun. It's actually two days. Those days. One day and a, <laughs> and a second day. Do you know where it's at, by any chance? 
Uh, it's in Berkeley, oh. I think. No, it's in San Francisco. It's in San Francisco proper. It's at some. Oh shoot! It's like a famous ballroom. I think I need to find out oh, what it's the Bill Graham called. Auditorium, probably right. It's probably at the Fillmore, man. It's probably at the corner of Hate Ashbury, dude. Hey Jen, don't I go drinking any smoking any funny cigarettes, man. When you're in San Francisco. <laughs> Dude, I live in Washington. <laughs> That's not the same. It's not as groovy, man. Okay. <laughs> I think that's quite enough for tonight. So for those of you listening at home, you can actually now find us in addition to our SoundCloud. We're also now on iTunes, boom, 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 Stitcher, Makes us and uh, Spotify. Spotify. Make sure that if you do listen to us on iTunes, please rate us. Leave us a sweet comment. Um, major, major shout out to uh, Prince Oren, who left us something wonderful both on iTunes and on SoundCloud and on our Facebook. Thank you so, so much. We really, really appreciate it, especially week one straight out the gate. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, on WordPress, and coming soon to Tumblr. WordPress. Twitter. Twitter. Instagram. Instagram. Facebook. Facebook. Just gallery. Gallery. Yes, find our gallery. Pinterest. <laughs> We're not a grinder. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh. All every social media. Yeah. All of it. Wherever you want to find us, we'll be there. Wherever podcasts are sold. <laughs> good night. <Bye. laughs> Goodbye. Have a good week of writing, yes. everyone. <laughs> <laughs>